Hi, this is Sarah Grady. Welcome to another episode of The Estruin Gradient. The Estruin Gradient is a podcast of the North and South Rivers Watershed Association and the Massachusetts Bay's National Estuary Program, South Shore Region. You can get in touch with The Estruin Gradient on Twitter, at Estruin Gradient, or uh, at the NSRWA's Twitter, at NSRWA. Or you can also send me an email at sarah at nsrwa.org. And uh, I'm always looking for topics and questions, so definitely feel free to get in touch with me. In this episode, I talked to Abigail Archer, who is a friend and colleague who works at the Cape Cod Cooperative Extension and Woods Hole Sea Grant as a fisheries and aquaculture specialist. I got to know Abby probably about, oh, 13 years ago um, when we met through the River Herring Network. And you'll hear a little bit about the history of that in this podcast. Abby helps run the River Herring Network, and she is a complete rock star at organizing everything and getting all of the people in southeastern Massachusetts and now uh, northeast Massachusetts excited about counting river herring and collecting data and just learning how to love these fish that migrate into our streams in the spring and uh, the juveniles that migrate out in the fall. Um, And you'll hear a little bit about that too. So um, I was so glad to be able to sit down and talk to her about her work and about how much we both love river herring. Uh, This was recorded on my front step on a beautiful July day in 2020 um, with birds chirping and wind blowing and uh, also some kids running around. Uh, So just factor that in when you're listening to the audio. And so now I am so glad to bring you my interview with Abby Archer. I'm here with Abby Archer. Uh, Abby, can you tell us your official title? Sure. I work at Woods Hole Sea Grant and Cape Cod Cooperative Extension, which is part of Barnstable County, and I am a fisheries and aquaculture specialist. All right. And you and I got connected because we both kind of got the River Herring Warden Network, a.k.a. River Herring Network, started. Yes, I, um, I remember going to a workshop that you organized, and I was part of the audience. We were at the Jones River Watershed Association, I think, and it was at that point that I realized how many River Herring Count volunteers there are. I was only aware of the Cape Cod ones at that point, um, and you were up front telling us all about how what we were going to do with all of this data that was being collected. It was in the early years of, of herring counts. Yeah, that was exciting. It, it was, was. Yeah, I mean, I think we probably, that was when, it was 2010, and that was when we all decided to start using the same methodology from the Division of Marine Fisheries yep. Nelson paper. Because at that point, everyone was kind of doing their own thing. Yep. Yeah, there were a couple of programs, Marston's Mills on the Cape in Barnstable. They were following their own protocol, and then Falmouth were following their own protocol. And then Association to Preserve Cape Cod started uh, organizing folks and you know trying to get everyone to use the same method. 
Um, and then I think that workshop that we're talking about is when the APCC folks and you under the mass space banner yeah. mm -hmm. came together to make sure we're collecting data in a standardized fashion across the state so that we could then actually start to use all this information for monitoring the populations. Cape Cod and the South Coast have um, pretty active herring wardens too, that were all kind of doing their own thing. Yep. Um, I remember there was uh, Jeff, was that? Yeah. yeah. Yes, Jeff Hughes was the herring warden in Wellfleet. So the, the Herring River in Wellfleet, which a big part of it is in the Cape Cod National Seashore. And so the job of the Wellfleet herring warden is unique. I mean, all of them have their unique situations in their towns. It's amazing how different the management challenges are from town to town. Uh, but in Wellfleet, it's most of the watershed, most of the river was within National Park Service. It's within Cape Cod National Seashore. Um, and so Jeff had access to a lot of studies about river herring and fisheries and natural history. And so even though he didn't have a background as a scientist, he got really curious about river herring populations as a whole and really wanted to talk to other herring wardens about it. And so it was through conversations. Jeff and I used to live next to each other in, in apartments in Wellfleet. And it was through those conversations we thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if all the herring wardens could get together? Wouldn't it be really neat to learn from each other uh, and hear about how things are the same and how things are different? And then he got together with Cape Cod Commercial Fishermen's Alliance at the time. And they applied for funding from our space program to put together some workshops following on the workshop that you had organized. One thing that I think is really great about the river herring, I always, I always mess up the name too. It's like, it's like river herring network, river herring warden network. I think to, but we kind of officially on the website, we have river herring network. It's yeah. sometimes I'll say the Massachusetts river herring network too, because Clearly, there are people who care a lot about herring in all of the other states <laughs> right. along the East Coast and yeah. Canada. Yeah, um, but it's such a great partnership because there's all these watershed associations and towns, and as it's grown, I mean, Division of Marine Fisheries has gotten really involved. NOAA Fisheries yeah. has gotten very involved. And it's such a neat mix because even within herring wardens, there are some people who have herring warden responsibilities who are paid. So it's part of their um, natural resources management job. They might be a natural resources officer or a warden. Some people are volunteers. Um, you know, they don't get paid. They do it because they love it. They might get like $200 so that they can buy their volunteers pizza. Um, and then there are people who are part of committees. So in, in Brewster, the town I live in, we have an alewife committee. So Middleborough, I think, currently has the largest herring run in our... There's been some flux in the past few years. Probably we should look at the confidence intervals yeah. around those estimates, but... Okay, so confidence intervals. A confidence interval is the error around your estimate of the count. So... When we talk about there being, say, 500,000 fish in a run, often the data should be presented as 500,000 plus or minus a certain value, and the true value lies within those boundaries. Right. I always, when I first started reading about herring and learning about herring, I always heard that Monument River 
in Bourne right. and you know Great Herring Pond that that was the biggest run in the state but it was also one of the few that we actually had data for <laughs> uh, and then right Namaskit River Middleborough Lakeville was one of the biggest uh, but then in the past couple of years Division of Marine Fisheries worked with Town of Harwich to set up an electronic uh, Smith Root electronic counter on that river and I think it was 1.2 million last year now this year, just looking at the raw data, um, it was less than that. I don't think we broke a million. Um, but I don't think anybody expected that there were that many herring in Herring River and Harwich. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure who has the largest one now. But also, I love the fact that there's a network of people that discuss this. <laughs> and that a part of the River Herring Network meetings are the fact that people, those compilations, I call it the spreadsheet of beauty, uh, that Joanne Marimoto puts together and John Shepard puts together. Like, Just a note, John Shepard works for the Division of Marine Fisheries in the Anadromous Fish Program, and Joanne Marimoto is my counterpart with Mass Bays on Cape Cod. There's friendly competition, I think, in the best sense of how many herring did you get yet? And there's always a big portion of the meeting at, during breaks where people compare numbers of, of yeah. how many they got that year. Yeah, on the South Shore, you know, for many, many years, it was Weymouth, you know, hands down. Yeah. And then the restoration of the Herring Brook in Pembroke, um, yeah. and the new fish ladder there, and then the restoration of Town Brook in Plymouth. Yeah. Um, you know, both of those runs have continued to climb each year. Yeah. So what was the first herring run you ever visited? Um, Monument River. Yeah. Yep. Um, I um, was a kid. It was um, it was probably it was late for the run because I was down. I, we would come down to Marshfield in the summer, um, and we had a family friend who told us about the the fish ladder at the canal um, and said we should go see it. And so we came down. Um, and I think at that point in time, it was probably, I mean, it maybe may have been like late May, early June. Yeah. So it was still kind of like tail end, but, um, there were still fish, you know, and even just seeing, I mean, when, you know, when you're a kid, even just seeing a fish ladder is exciting. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Cause I was out, I lived out in central mass, um, in Harvard and, um, you know, we don't have, we don't have river herring out there. So, <laughs> okay. So I got pretty excited about the Monument River here. One of the reasons why is we were sitting very, very close to the headwaters of the Monument River, Great Herring Pond. And in fact, prior to this interview, Avi and I went for a swim in the pond and were probably swimming around with juvenile herring at the time. So the first one I ever visited, well, it was two that we went to regularly. It was just part of what we did in the spring. So my dad grew up in Weymouth. And so we'd go to um, Jackson Square, so the back river in Weymouth, and then Stony Brook and Brewster. And I just remember being amazed. Like that, seeing those fish, like that is why I'm a scientist. That's why I got interested in biology. I'm so thankful that my parents did that because just being able to see those fish, it's just like the pure joy of seeing these fish. And it's so important, I think, to go several times when there aren't fish because then that day that you go and visit and see fish it's so special to see the absence of fish and then then fish teeming in the river and that's the part that got me so excited 
um, and then more interested in science and ecology and caring about the ocean. So that's what I think is so special about river herring as an outreach tool. Like they're so accessible. Like kids who live in cities and suburbia, you can go down to a park that's not that far away um, and just like hang out for a little bit. And then you're being exposed to all of these concepts of, of how the ocean works and who eats who. And it's just a really special thing about living in Massachusetts, I think. So usually when people are talking about herring runs, you know, they're talking about what we've just been talking about, these spring runs where you have large adult fish coming into the system. Um, but uh, as you and I know, um, and as my volunteers have learned through their training, uh, that is not, of course, the whole story. So when was the first time you saw juvenile herring? Actually, it was right after I graduated college and I moved back to Wellfleet where my parents were um, and uh, I met Jeff Hughes, the herring warden, because I was just prowling around the river and he was going out with a group of volunteers to dig out a connection between gull ponds and then the next pond. So those are the, the headwaters of the Herring River system. And it was November and they knew that there were juvenile herring. Um, trapped was the word they used in gull pond. Um, and that we were saying the systems all have like really peculiar management specific to those runs. So the connection between the two ponds would sometimes shoal over with sand. And so it was part of the duty of the herring warden um, with all the permissions, of course, to just dig out that channel a little bit to let the juveniles go downstream. And that was in November. Um, and then I did a little bit of digging in the literature search. So I wanted to see what kind of scientific studies have been published on that and found some papers from UMass Amherst, um, Yakko and Mather and Iafrate and Mather. By the way, I'll post links to these two papers on the NSRWA website. That are fascinating papers, absolutely worth reading, that show how much variety there is in uh, the migration downstream of juveniles. So some of them will start in July and some of them hang out in the ponds all the way until December. And it's different from system to system and it's different from year to year. So it's just a tremendous amount of variability. And also that migration is no less spectacular than the upstream migration. It is just as exciting to watch thousands of baby herring go downstream as it is to watch the adults going upstream. So encourage people to include that in their seasonal rhythm now is to go visit the herring in the fall too. It's like um, migratory birds. You know, people often are only looking at one end of the, right. the migration. Yep. Um, but as with any of these migratory animals, you're, you're seeing all the, the whole part of the cycle. And so we've gotten pretty good at counting them upstream. You know, there's all sorts of ways to do it. And all the Massachusetts rivers are trying out methods by, you know, video counting, crowdsourcing that video electronic counters, and then of course, all the amazing volunteers that go out and count them visually. It's harder to count juveniles downstream. And so to continue managing the populations as best as we can, we need that other piece. We also need to know how many babies are made in the ponds and how many of them are getting out to the ocean. Um, but that's been a tough nut to crack. Um, it's, yeah, there's it's a harder. great There's a great project um, down the Monument River. 
where um, actually volunteers can log in. And uh, much like some of the volunteer efforts to count adult herring that you mentioned, you know, there's that project. Um, you can go on Zooniverse um, and look at juvenile herring on a camera. You can log on to Zooniverse too and help identify juvenile herring. The link will be posted on the NSRWA website. Um, so that's it's UMass Amherst. Um, Magna Marjati is the lead PhD student. I believe she's working with um, Adrian Jordan and Allison Roy, and they're partnering with Division of Marine Fisheries with John Shepard. And they're trying to train a computer program, as, as best as I understand it, to recognize an individual fish. But since they're a schooling species, that gets complicated. So you can't count individual fish like you can the adults. Um, so yeah, this I think this is the project that's shown the most promise. And so I'm really curious to see what results come out of this. That's gonna be very exciting. And we know a little bit more now too about whether those juveniles are gonna come back to the same places too. So that's some, a lot of that has come out of your work lately, too, in the town brook. So I like to think of alewife in particular as like some of the early aquaculture attempts on Cape Cod. So the way it was told to me, one of the reasons we know that herring home back to the same ponds that or the same river system that they were born in is because river herring were big money. They were used as bait. And so people on Cape Cod would find a freshwater pond that was somewhat close to the ocean and they would dig a connection to the ocean and then they would take some herring from the neighboring pond plunk it in the new pond and then lo and behold three and four years later there were herring there that they could then make money off of and sell for bait and and for food sometimes too uh, and so there's there a lot of the systems on cape cod have hand dug channels that connect them um, so that's how people first figured out that they would come back. Uh, lately, we've had a whole bunch of tagging data that sort of makes that more plain. Um, Derek Alcott, a PhD student out uh, doing work on Herring River in Wellfleet, and then Ben Gehagen doing uh, tagging work up in the Parker River. Another note here, Ben Gehagen works for the Division of Marine Fisheries. Um, and then also there have been some students in Rhode Island uh, have all been using pit tags which are super small and they don't have a battery, so they last for a number of years. So if you keep monitoring the river where you originally tagged the fish in, you have the opportunity to see repeat spawners, ones that come back. It's amazing to me that these fish, you know, survive fresh water and then go out to the ocean with all those mouths, like all those things that can eat them, mammals and birds and bigger fish, and then they actually survive and make their way back to the original pond. Um, so yeah, we got about, it was about 13% of the fish that we tagged returned the next year. Um, and then this year we got fish, so we did tagging in 2018 and 2019. And this year we saw repeat spawners from both of those years. Um, so it'll be really interesting to compare the results with those other two rivers that I mentioned and you know, trying to figure out what percentage of them come back. And that will help population studies as well. I think it's been very exciting uh, to be kind of on the cusp of this hopeful recovery. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, you know, I think 
a lot of us, all of us were really concerned, um, you yeah. know, and I think we were very, um, cautious at the beginning, you know, and no, I mean, I think in a few places, you know, we've managed to see those densities that, you know, we sort of heard of anecdotally from the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like, you know, I mean, <laughs> Surprise, surprise. Restoration seems to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so that's that's been really exciting. And, um, you know, I think it's also really exciting to, you know, you and I are lucky in that we get to interact with a lot of people on the ground. Yeah. Um, and it's exciting to get everybody excited, as excited as we are. Right. And volunteer counting, it's like this wonderful um side effect you know you're also you're collecting data but then also you just have this group of people that know more about river herring and then can tell their neighbors about river herring so i'm so proud to be part of a crew of volunteer herring counters i think it's a really important group of people in the state doing really important data collection and also outreach and awareness thank you so much to Abby Archer for sitting down and talking to me about river herring and her love for these fish, um, a love that I know I certainly share. And also thank you uh, to her for being so tolerant of um, all of the distractions uh, while we sat and spoke. This has been the Estruin Gradient. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can get in touch with me through Twitter at Estuarine Grady or through the NSRWA's Twitter at NSRWA or you can send me an email at sarah at NSRWA.org.